Hey, next Sunday is the start of Advent and the beginning of the Christmas season. And hopefully we'll be able to meet up with friends and family. So being optimistic, Sue and I are making our Christmas pudding this weekend. And I wonder how many of you are also making your pudding too. Today is the last Sunday before Advent and it's affectionately called Stir Up Sunday. It's called Stir Up Sunday for two reasons. Firstly, because one of the set prayers for today starts with these words, Stir up, O Lord, the wills of your faithful people. And secondly, because of this phrase, people choose this day to make their Christmas puddings. So it's when they stir up their puddings. So hence the affectionate name, Stir Up Sunday. But if I've suddenly reminded you to make your puddings today, please wait until after the service to check you've got all the ingredients. Well, in this bowl is the fruit Sue and I will be using in our pudding. And the fruit's been soaking in port overnight. It makes it swell up and to make the pudding taste even more yummy. Mmm, lovely, I can't wait. I wonder if you soak your fruit, what liquid you use? Well, why not put a comment on the Facebook page right now to tell everyone else, and we can compare what we do. Some people use brandy, some use sherry, some use cold tea. Please comment now on what you use. And while you're doing that, imagine for a moment that Sue and I had made a mistake. Imagine that instead of soaking our fruit overnight in port, we'd accidentally used vinegar. Ooh, that would make the pudding taste horrible. What could we do with it? Well, we definitely have to throw it all away and start again. Well, hold that thought for a moment, because we'll come back to it soon. This morning, we've listened to some verses from Romans chapter 12. And I've got three little illustrations that we ha will hopefully help us to engage with what Paul has written. And the first illustration is this, the very practice of soaking fruit in a liquid. And the analogy that our minds are like this fruit. Like this fruit, they too have been soaking. And the difference is that they are soaked not in a liquid, but in all the ideas and ways promoted by the society we live in. We've been soaking in our culture, not just for one night, but for our whole lives. Our minds are completely immersed. And Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, there's stuff that we've soaked into our minds that is more akin to vinegar than to port. Perhaps I'll just pause for a moment and see if we've got any comments here. Pudding cooking at the moment, someone's saying. 
smoked I've brought in, in brandy. They sound good as well, doesn't it? They're the comments I can see. So brandy, port, cooking at the moment, excellent. Keep on with the comments. Now, if fruit had been soaked in the wrong liquid, we'd have had to throw it away and start again. But in his mercy, God has not done that with us. Instead, through Jesus, he offers to transform us by renewing our minds. He's able to undo all the damage done by our wrong thinking and set us free from conforming to the pattern of this world, free to live a holy and godly life. Yes, please. If you recall, that's how the passage we read starts. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, it's only because of God's mercy that we may be transformed. It's a gift for us, for me and for you. I wonder how many times you've heard about children, people saying, well, whatever makes them happy. Whether I ever verbalised it like that or not, I can't remember, but looking back, I can see that whatever makes them happy was most often implicit in what I did. Whatever makes them happy is one way we conform to the main pattern that our society promotes. And the main pattern, the thing we mostly conform to, is this, the pursuit of happiness. Practically all our sort of futile and distorted thinking stems from this one idea. Life is about the pursuit of happiness. It's enshrined in the American document of independence. We all have this inalienable right to the pursuit of happiness. All over the world, minds have soaked it in deeply, including ours. I have, you have. However, what we find in the Bible is not an inalienable right to pursue happiness, but a God-given freedom to pursue holiness. God says, be holy because I am holy. As Donna said the other week, it's not a right to demand, but a gift to accept. It's not something we can attain ourselves, but something which in his mercy is a gift from God. So the challenge this morning is to begin to let the Holy Spirit start to renew our minds, to move us away from making choices based on the pursuit of happiness, and instead to make choices based on the pursuit of holiness. Pursuit of happiness, pursuit of holiness. Will we continue to stay soaking in vinegar we start soaking in the Holy Spirit. You know, wow, what a huge transformation that would be. But let's move on then to my second illustration, and it's this. Our lives are like a gaming app. Not surprisingly, the app we're playing is called Pursuit of Happiness. 
In most games, there are numerous in-app purchases we can make. We might buy new weapons or skins or a loot box, all those sorts of things, all to help us play the game. And so too, along the way, we invest in various of these in-app purchases to help us in the pursuit of happiness. Things like an iPhone 12 Pro Max 5G or a large screen smart OLED TV. Hey, that will keep you amused. Or perhaps a Louis Vuitton handbag. That will make me feel great. Well, it won't make me feel great, but it might make some feel great. All these in-app purchases to help me in my pursuit of happiness. And the pitfall is that when we encounter the good news about Jesus, we're inclined to treat it too like an in-app purchase. I might perhaps think that the good news of Jesus gives me a new skin, a Christian identity. Jesus will really come in handy in my pursuit of my happiness. So rather than the good news of Jesus setting me free to switch to a different game entirely, to switch from the pursuit of happiness to the pursuit of holiness, I carry on with the same pursuit of happiness mindset and assume that Jesus will make it happen and happen to the nth degree. One obvious example is those who promote a prosperity gospel. You know, God wants us to be happy by making us all healthy and wealthy. And that's a horrible distortion. A distortion that makes the good news of Jesus conform to the pattern of this world. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to renew our minds so that we don't succumb to it. It's a big challenge, isn't it? Do I assume, do I assume that Jesus is here simply to enhance my life and help me in my pursuit of happiness? Do I treat Jesus like an in-app purchase? Or have I made the radical switch that Jesus came to, to set me free to do, to switch from the pursuit of happiness to the pursuit of holiness? It's worth noting that in the pursuit of happiness, it's like a battle royal. We all play as individuals and are pitted against everyone else. But Paul reminds us that in the pursuit of holiness, it is instead a team game. We all help one another. He wrote, just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We've got different gifts, and he goes on to explain them. But the gifts that we have are not to make me happy, but are for the benefit of others. We have to switch not just the game we play, but the way we play it. I have to stop pursuing my own happiness, and instead we all strive to help one another in the pursuit of holiness. So we've thought about how fruit soaking is like our minds being soaked in the pattern of this world and how in his mercy 
God can renew our minds. We've heard that our lives are like a gaming app and the challenge as to which game am I playing. Lastly, I want us to think about the hokey cokey. And in the context of this talk, the hokey cokey is what it's all about. You see, if we want to pursue holiness, then it means that I don't just put my right arm in and my right arm out, or just put my left leg in. You can't see that on camera. What I need to do is to put, if you can imagine, my whole self in. Paul says this, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, when Paul refers to our bodies, he's not meaning just the physical part of us, arms, legs, head, etc. What he means is something more akin to what we mean nowadays when we say person. We are to offer our whole person, our physical body, our mind, our will, our heart, our soul, all that we are, we're to offer to God. It's like what Jesus said when he was asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And he quoted the Old Testament and replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. A couple of weeks ago, John gave us a definition of worship that he'd come across. It's by someone called Tim Keller. And it goes like this. Worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value something in such a way that it engages our whole, our entire being. It engages our entire being. So the way we pursue holiness rather than happiness is to give our whole self to God. It engages our entire being. I like the way Psalm 18 expresses it, that we are to love the Lord our God as hard as we can. So we're to put our whole self in. Okay, so we're to offer our whole self to God and not just a part. But what does offering my whole self as a living sacrifice mean? In the Old Testament, when worshippers brought a sacrifice to the temple, it was a sign of their commitment to God. They knew that the Lord was committed to them. And so a sacrifice was a way of re responding to God, responding to God's love and expressing their gratitude to the Lord. It was a way, perhaps once a year or so, of restating this commitment. Paul is saying, look, true worship means we're making this statement of commitment, not every now and then, but the whole time. They're a living sacrifice that never leaves the altar. Our lives, our whole self, is a daily, moment-by-moment -moment offering of love and commitment to God, a sign of our gratitude to God's mercy. So unlike the hokey-cokey, we don't put our whole self in, our whole self out. Instead, we put our whole self in and keep it there, full stop. True worship is when we put our whole self in all the time. So 
So, for example, we don't just put our whole self in at church and then put our whole self out again for the rest of the week. Our minds can be transformed when we worship God with our whole being all of the time. When we do that, Paul says, we will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. We'll be more able to pursue holiness rather than happiness. So three little illustrations that I hope we'll be able to chew over and reflect on during the weeks ahead so that we may better worship God and pursue holiness. This week, by God's mercy, may each one of us soak in the Holy Spirit. May we pursue holiness and may we put our whole selves in. I also hope you have fun making your puddings and even more fun eating them. Let's just pray. We're going to pause for a moment of quiet and reflection on the things that have been heard. Amen.